welcome to episode 8 of the Telling the Story podcast. This is the audio branch of the Telling the Story blog at tellingthestoryblog.com. A look at how journalists and everyone reach the world. I am Matt Pearl, author of the Telling the Story blog and a reporter at NBC in Atlanta. And my guest today is also from NBC in Atlanta. He is a co-worker of mine, someone I respect a great deal. He launched the CNN documentary series CNN Presents. He produced the extraordinary CNN documentary Black in America... He has won countless awards. He is the man behind a terrific project that hit Atlanta homes this past week. The producer of 50 Years of Change, a tremendous documentary. Jeff Reed, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Matt. Thanks for all those kind words, sir. Absolutely. And, Jeff, I had the privilege of working on this documentary with you. I wrote about it last week on the Telling the Story blog. And I wanted to have you on because rarely do we hear about the -the behind-the-scenes elements of producing a documentary. So I wanted to delve into that with you and... First of all, talk a little bit about 50 Years of Change, just for those listening. What is it, and how did the idea to do it come about? Well, as you just mentioned, I joined Channel 11 about uh, 13 months ago, and as I was coming in the door, I was talking to our news director, Ellen Crook, and I was telling her, you know, next year, one of the biggest stories of the year is going to be the 50th anniversary of the March on Washington. I felt like now would be a good time to start planning for that. But as you know, in the daily news business, you get caught up doing the day-to-day stories. And about May, our general manager, John Duchesne, sent us an email and said, had we considered doing a uh, documentary on, on uh, on the March on Washington? And then I started doing some research, and then I started realizing, you know, the March on Washington was just one of many events in 1963. There was the the Children's Crusades where the the police turned the hoses on the kids and the dogs, uh, hoses and dogs. And then there was the um, the integration of um, of the University of Alabama. Then the March on Washington. Then the 16th Street Baptist Church bombing. Then the assassination of John F. Kennedy. And then, which later led to the civil rights passage of the uh, historic bill. So I said, you know, why not fold all of those events together and make our documentary more about a year of change and 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 not just focus on the one event, a one major event, but we, we delve into that as well on the March on Washington. When you're producing a documentary and you're tackling a topic like the civil rights movement, that can go in so many different directions, and, and you could have taken it in a variety of ways. How difficult was it to find the focus for this piece and, and to find a way to make that hour really have one continuous theme and subject well the one the main thing with uh doing a documentary like that is that you have a script i mean the history has been already it's it is history so it's a matter of finding those compelling stories those compelling people who who can really put the stories to life and once i you know there was some debate do we have enough material should we try to do a half hour an hour but once I sat down, Brenda Wood sat down to interview Carolyn McKinstry. She's someone who survived the uh, the attacks in in the park that day, and someone who narrowly escaped the bombing of the church, the 16th Street Baptist Church, on September 15th, five months later. Once we sat down with her, and just to listen to her her story, the emotional story she told. I could have done a half hour and not an hour just on her her words alone. So I knew then that we had definitely enough material to do an hour. And it's all about finding those people with compelling stories, character-driven stories, to, to you know to make the to take the video that you're about that you saw and bring it to life. I would think that uh, with a topic like this, you almost have to 
narrow it down to an hour because there's so many people, so many stories. I mean, there were things that happened in 1963 that we barely touch on in the documentary. Medgar Evers, uh, even the integration of University of Alabama, I think, I know I mentioned it in the one segment I did on uh, President Kennedy, but I think that was it. So at some point, you really have to say, this is what we're going to focus on. These are the segments I want to have. Was that a tough process, especially in this case with the number of elements you could have gone with? Well, um, I wanted to to really narrow it down to uh, some of the biggest stories that happened. Oh, you know, perhaps some of, I barely touched on it in the doc was uh, some of Dr. King's greatest work was when he was arrested in Birmingham. He he uh, crafted the letter from a Birmingham jail. I really didn't go there. One one of the reasons being I didn't really have anyone that could really relate his story. So that's the main focus is trying to find those stories, picking the stories where you can find people who can take you to a place that has been rarely told. Um, now, as I said in the introduction, you've done this many times for CNN. Uh, this is the first documentary you've produced with uh, a local news station. And uh, I would imagine... And I know that that comes with uh, some greater challenges. Talk about that process and and just uh, the amount of resources, what you had to work with, and how that was different for you. Well, you know, it's yeah. I, challenges is one word. Opportunities is another. <laughs> so, um, I you know, I, I stay in good contact with my uh, old friends over at CNN, a unit I used to manage, and I know for a fact they were working on a. Uh, a similar documentary on they where they focused just on the march, and they started working on their documentary eight months ago, and they had four or five producers and a correspondent. And Matt, as you know, we started on our documentary about six weeks ago, and, <laughs> and we only had outside of me there were about three or four other people that were dedicated to the show. And I have to admit, I mean, I, 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 I might want to kick myself for admitting this, but. We were a fine, a lean, mean fighting machine. We we not only accomplished my goal, but I, you know I looked at it, and my friends from CNN will tell me that we produced a better show, and I'm very proud of that. And when you look at when I think back on all the resources I had at CNN and coming here to do it at a local level, this is probably one of my finest hours because of the uh, the limited uh, resources we had. Let me let me follow up on that a little bit. How did those limited resources? I mean, obviously, I, I I would I can imagine how they hindered the the process, but how did they help the process? How did it make it easier to do this documentary? Well, you know what? Uh, at at CNN, I was I was an executive producer there, but I still had to run scripts up the flagpole and. Everything had to go through many uh, legal hurdles. So I think having limited resources, I mean, we just came in. I, I, I wrote out a treatment. I wrote out a, a treatment as an outline of what I wanted to accomplish. I had the, I had the characters to tell the stories, and we just, we just tackled it. We just handled it. I, I did send my scripts to the general manager and news director, and they had no problems with them, and we just, we just, we just made it happen. Certain amount of freedom there, I guess that uh, that you have uh, on a local level. This was the first one, and like you said, it it, it took about a year into your time here uh, to do a documentary. Did the stars have to align to a certain extent to make that uh, to make the documentary a reality? Well, Matt, you know what? It didn't hurt having the general manager send out an email saying, "Are you guys 
have you considered it? So once we got him behind it, I mean, really, it just made – I was pretty much given leeway to make it happen. So, um, no, the stars did align, basically getting all the right people to talk. But once um, once we got the general manager and station management behind it, and I really think, um, you know, coming here, I think people had read about my work at, at CNN and seen my seen my work. But at a certain point, you got to come in here and prove to everyone else that – Hey, here's here's what I do for a living. This is here's why you're bringing me here, and I I think uh, this product is very exceptional, and it's not only a um, a, cre- a credit to myself, but the team I had. I mean, I had some great correspondents and journalists, editors, photographers. They they did their thing, and I, I really think the next one's going to be a whole lot easier because they they we've already set the standard, so you can only go up. You know, uh, obviously, I, I think. Documentaries are very rare at local news stations, and the argument against doing documentaries is, is pretty obvious. They take up resources. They don't fill a whole lot of airtime. What is the argument in favor of this kind of long-form journalism at the local level? Well, you know what? I'm going to – to answer that question, I'm going to go back to CNN. Um, we started Black in America, and it became four to six hours of content, and – Number one was a big success for for CNN, and it was CNN's most, still is, most successful franchise. Number two, we decided to do number two. I was worried about can I can I make the can I make the magic happen again, and so I was talking to the uh, uh, station uh, network president. He said, Jeff. Don't worry about the ratings. What you're doing, you're growing the brand. You're building CNN's brand across many platforms. And when I, John Duchesne, I asked him, I said, you know, how were the ratings last night? And he told me, and the ratings were pretty good. And I said, you know what, I'm glad to hear the ratings were pretty good. But, again, I think this was a story that deserved to be told, should be told. And as Carolyn McKinstry says, you know, the lady I talked about that survived the 16th Street bombing, you know, she goes to schools every day or weekly and talks to kids about her life's experiences. And a lot of people don't believe they, – they come up to her and say, I don't believe it happened. I, I just can't believe that happened in the United States. And last night at the screening at Clark Atlanta, so many college kids came up to me and saying, man, I had no idea my people went through something like that. So it's a story that's going to live on. It's a story that should be told, and this new generation – we take for granted that they, you know, they know about it, but they really don't. Yeah, I, uh, yesterday I had the privilege of watching the documentary with a group of middle schoolers, and uh, when they saw the footage of the hoses and the dogs coming out in Birmingham, boy, you could see some shocked looks right. on their faces. It's fascinating, you know, in in a way that, I don't know, I feel like I grew up and I always just kind of accepted that the history I was learning in class was accurate, and, and I never really questioned that, but... You know, and, and I don't know that, that kids believe that things like that never happened, but maybe they just don't realize just how stark of a situation it was 50 right. years ago. Right. You know, and another thing, I mean, I, I, I like to think, you know, my kids, I, I raised three, three kids that are now in college, and I tried to talk to them, teach them about the civil rights movement, and they are, they are at least aware it happened, but they don't want to hear about it. They said, Dad, that happened so long ago, we'd rather live in the current times. And I said, well, um, the, the past is 2020 vision. You, you know, mm-hmm. it's good to know 
where you've been so you can understand and have a better understanding of where you're going. So, I mean, that's just the way the new, newer generation is. They'd rather focus on the here and now. This is the Telling the Story podcast. I am Matt Pearl. My guest is Jeff Reed, manager of enterprise content here at NBC in Atlanta. Do you know that I had to look up that title? <laughs> I've had to figure out what that title means, too. But the bottom line is I'm the executive producer of special projects. So that's the way I, uh, I read into it. Me, too. Me, too. Now, let's move on to crafting when it comes to crafting a documentary. And when you look back on the ones you've produced, and you can use this past one as an example as well, what is the most important essential ingredient to a successful product? Well, you got to have a great story to tell, but again, you got to have great individuals, p- character-driven stories, people who can take a story and talk about it, people who can, you know, bring those pictures to life and, you know, you get that by, you know, researching characters. I mean, with Carolyn McKinster again, I I keep going back to her. I mean, she the way she sat down and composed herself and told a very dramatic story. To me, everyone at home can relate to it. It brings it really hits home. So many I, I've seen so many responses from people on Twitter and Facebook who just said, you know, man, I I can't, just can't imagine being as composed as she was during that interview, reliving. You know, she said so many um, so many things that really stuck out. She said, you know, when she first started. People started um, 9/11 when they, when 9/11 struck. I mean, when tragedy struck downtown New York, people started talking about terror. But you know, terror is something they lived in Birmingham all their lives. When the bomb bombing went off in the 16th Street Baptist Church, there were more than 80 unsolved bombings in that city alone. So, you know, that terror was a way of life. So I say you start with a good story, but the next best thing is characters who can tell that story. I noticed that. You know, and you were able to cobble together quite a few great gets, as they're called, for interviews. You know, there was Al Sharpton and former Atlanta Mayor Shirley Franklin, current Atlanta Mayor Kasim Reed, and a lot of the the politicians that we know uh, today were not as impacting to me as the people who lived in that era as, I guess, a You'd call them civilians, but even the, the leaders of the movement. John Lewis was a perfect example. Congressman John Lewis, who, when you hear him talk about political issues, is you know he generally sounds like a politician. But when he talks about this era, he has a certain energy to him. He lights up in a certain way. I think McKinstry did the same, too, and, and one of the more powerful uh, combinations, I thought, was when you had characters like John Lewis and Andrew Young who are so well-spoken and eloquent, but clearly had uh, very strong feelings that still existed 50 years later about what they were doing. You know, these are these are people who were foot soldiers. Can you imagine being a young 20-year-old st- student and being on the front lines of, of a movement of change in your country? I mean, that's something um, Congressman Lewis, he, you know, tried to cross the Pettus Bridge, in 1964 and was beat down and was part of the um, the bus rides, the freedom marches. And, I mean, Congressman Lewis is someone who was on the front line. So he's going to, I mean, it, it impacted him emotionally. And, and I'm sure he still carries those memories with him every day today. So he's going to have a different uh, uh, tone in his voice when he talks about the memories of the past. It, you know, it almost seemed easy 
with with this in terms of the interviews that we had. There were so many civil rights figures, and they're again so well spoken and eloquent that you know it, it wouldn't seem like a difficult challenge to get good sound bites and 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 powerful quotes from them. At the same time, I was impressed when I was going through all the interviews that were done, and you did them, and uh, and our main anchor Brenda Wood did quite a few of them, and what you were able to elicit from the people you talked to. There were there were stories, there were moments, there were revelations there that I don't think a standard interview could have produced. What what do you think your success was there and how did you think you were able to get those moments from these icons? Well, you know, I think, you know, I just say I'll just say, it. I mean, when I talk to people, I, I just have a, a way of making them feel at ease. I mean, when I called up Shirley Franklin and uh, talked to her, I, matter of fact, my, my one of my good friends at CNN, she wasn't even on my radar. I said, oh, by the way, Shirley Franklin was at the f- first march on Washington. I said, I did not know that. Let me give her a call. So <laughs> I gave her a call. She turned me down three times. I said, okay, Shirley, you were at the march. I know you have a compelling story to tell. Come on, talk to me. And, you know, she said, okay, Jeff, I'll do it for you. And I even had her on last, last night as a live guest at 7. She saw the documentary for the first time last night at 10 o'clock, and she called me up and said, Jeff, I'm so glad I was able to tell my story. And she told an amazing story how being a 19-year-old student from Howard University never had been at a, a march in her life. And to be there, being the sea of people, to see people from of all races and all from all over the world, to be there for to stand there for a, a a great cause, and that cause was equality and um, and and freedom. So she's told an amazing story, and I, it's it's just making people feel comfortable. And you know, they, they I, I I I got a sense that she really wanted to talk about it. You know, it's, it's a kind of a therapy for her. She Is that why you called her the fourth time? <laughs> I, I always got you know i you know it's good to be persistent you know <laughs> absolutely um you know and, and i know i've mentioned this before but as you know a local news station we so rarely get an opportunity to really sink our teeth i mean long-form stories are tough enough to get uh you know get run through but a documentary what did that afford you in terms of this story and, and, you know, what does that afford you just in general as any kind of news outlet? Um, but certainly in local news where you don't, you know, CNN, you've got 24 hours. And a lot of that consists of hour-long shows that aren't documentaries, but they're shows that can hone in on a central theme for 60 minutes. Local news, you usually don't get that kind of opportunity. What did this allow you to do that you couldn't have done in a newscast? Well, it, it gave me the opportunity to go and tell some of these stories in depth. I mean, I mean, can you imagine trying to condense uh, Carolyn McKinstry to a um, a three minute piece? Her story was much bigger than that. And you know what? These stories exist in local news. It's just a matter of of stations having the courage to blow out programming, or in some cases, create uh, spaces in your programming to tell them. Uh, again, I mean, I think. Um, if you think back on the work we've did, we've done over the past year, this probably stands as some of the most important storytelling we've done, and I think the community will recognize that. And it's a way of growing your our brand. It's a way of growing our uh, the Eleven Alive brand. So, I think there should be more. And and I think I 
based on the reaction and the positive feedback we received from this documentary, I get I get the feeling we're we're going to be doing more. This is the Telling the Story podcast. I'm Matt Pearl. He is Jeff Reed. And Jeff, I know we only have uh, limited time, but I wanted to ask you. And you know, on every podcast that I do, I always like to ask my guests their advice for young journalists, and especially someone like yourself. Uh, last night for the premiere of the documentary, you spoke at Clark Atlanta University and were a rock star over there. From everything I saw, they were tweeting about you, and by the end of the documentary, there were so many tweets that said, you know, great job, Jeff Reed, and you're not really on Twitter, so I'm not sure what you did with all that. <laughs> well, I, I show it to my kids to show them how hip I am. No, you know, the the best advice I can do is say, is, as you know, Matt, is being um, multi-talented, having multi-skills. Don't hone in on one thing. And the next advice, I, as I told the college kids last night, do the internships because that's where you get some practical skills with the, the book sense. And it, it gives you an idea of what to, expect, what to expect when you graduate from college. So do the internships because that's, that's key. I've uh, interviewed a few newspaper photographers and, uh, you know, they're always a little hesitant about what to tell other aspiring newspaper photographers because – it is a position that is in such flux uh, in this stage of the game. I'm curious as to what your answer would be to an aspiring journalist who really wants to work on long-form journalism in general, but documentaries in particular. Talk about a, you know, talk about rare opportunities. Documentaries do not come along. But what would you say to someone who wants to do that kind of journalism? Well, you know what? A good story is a good story. Maybe you don't have the time to do it on a to do it as a paid position, but Matt, you're very talented. I'm not saying you're the one asking for the advice, no. <laughs> but say for if you were, I'm not that young, <laughs> but someone as a, a a reporter at a local news station, if you have a great story to tell, tell it on your own time. I mean, do that. I mean. No one's if you if you knock on any network's door today and you have a story like we did last night, they're gonna pay for it. You know, it, you may it may mean you're working sixty, seventy, eighty hours a week, but at least you're following your passion. You you feel very passionate about telling long form programming or long form stories. So you may not you may have to do it on your own time, but it doesn't prevent you from doing it. It seems like long form journalism exists a lot more on the print side and even I would say on the audio side at this point than in video. And I think, you know, certainly uh, magazines, print, you still see plenty of long-form work. Uh, the, the Internet has allowed for a lot of writers to, you know, instead of being confined to a newspaper space, they can now just, you know, write pieces with as much length as they want. And then I think on the audio side, you know, again, instead of being confined to radio, you're seeing a lot of programs that are going long with podcast forms. So, you know, a lot of NPR programs. I interviewed Roman Mars, who runs 99% Invisible. That's a perfect example of, you know, 20, 30-minute pieces that would never fit in his NPR segment. Do you think there are avenues down the road where, video will see a resurgence of that kind of long-form journalism? Do, do they, does it need some kind of vehicle like the Internet, like podcasts, to make that a reality? You know, I, I think it probably does, but a lot of the, the the main networks these days, they're as I said before, they're really hiring a lot of freelancers and going out to independent 
um, production houses to get a lot of their stuff produced. So I would say um, someone who has multi-skills that can shoot, write, and edit, I mean, there's nothing stopping that person from doing their own documentary. Nothing. I mean, yeah, you may need to, a little backing, a little some little money to pay the bills, but, you know, I mean, like I said, if you have a job working a 9-to-5 doing something during the week and on your spare time, I mean, if you can do if you're that multi-talented, there's not the, no, no reason why you shouldn't be or couldn't be telling the types of stories you want to tell. Jeff Reed, the manager of enterprise content. I had to memorize that one. I'd do it from memory. I'm not sure. Uh, great advice all around, Jeff. And uh, before we let you go, anything else you wanted to add? No, you know, I've said that this was my uh, favorite project, my one of my best projects. But, you know, I, I look at the last one as being my best one because the next one will be my best one. I, I'm just already looking forward to research and I'm thinking, okay, what's happening next year? I, I you know, I, I just feel passionate about telling long form stories and I'm looking already gearing up for the next project, whatever it is. I don't have the answer right now, but I'll find it. I like to hear that it's in the works though, Jeff. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast today. Thank you, Matt. All right, the Telling the Story blog updates every Monday and Wednesday. The website is tellingthestoryblog.com. Rate and review this podcast on iTunes, and thank you for listening to this episode of the Telling the Story podcast. We'll see you next time.